On today's podcast, we go north to the great white north. We go to Canada and we talk to our boy Greg Stogren with Tune Perfection out of the GTA, the greater Toronto area. We get him on the podcast. We talk about building cars in Canada, what the scene's like in Canada, and also a show he's been working on putting together uh, that unfortunately didn't happen this year in Niagara Falls. And hopefully next year it'll go off and maybe we'll be able to be out there and bring something to you live. But for now, uh, we'll talk to Greg, talk about the scene, talk about the cars he's built over time and what gets him motivated to get out there and be part of the UWC in the GTA, the greater Toronto area. But first, let's talk about the updated news that everybody's hearing about. The drag race that they've been promoting heavily in Las Vegas has been canceled. Yes, it's been canceled, and the news came out earlier this week. They called me just before they went live with the news to let me know that, unfortunately, based on the current COVID situation and all the uh, pandemic and all this business that's going on right now, that they're not going to have the drag race. So our plan is to still go forward with the show in Vegas. So we're still working on putting that together. Unfortunately, our ridiculous governor put some things in place right now that are going to hold us back a little bit but we'll see hopefully we'll be able to get this thing put together for you guys uh we're still planning on it so block out the date and uh as soon as we get confirmation that we're good to go as of right now they've got uh, people groups limited to groups of 50 or less we may have to be pretty tricky with it but i'm sure you guys are looking to get out come to vegas hit a vw show and for my drag race guys there is test and tune saturday night so maybe we'll work something out with the track where we get our own lane or something but i'll look into a little bit of that because we'd love to see some of the drag race guys come out too Maybe the street guys, uh, it might be too much for drag race, drag race guys to bring out their test and tune stuff, but what can you do, man? We're trying to bring something uh, to the VW people based out of Vegas here that we know you guys enjoy. So, But first, let's get a message from our sponsor. Tired of the same old stuff for your VW? Check out Ross Wolf. They have a variety of accessories for your VW. Gas tank clamps, fender washer kits, IDA jet covers, distributor clamps, velocity stacks, and body-to-pan kits, all constructed of T6 6061 aluminum, anodized in a variety of colors. One of the coolest pieces that I personally like is their locking dipstick. Jason and Jared started this company to fill the void in the VW parts industry where customers receive the service they deserve. Where did the name Ross Wolf come from? Well, check out rosswolf.com to read about a man whose commitment to performance was only matched by his dedication to quality parts. To check out more, Go to RossWolf.com and check back often for an always expanding catalog. That's RossWolf.com. R-O-S-S-W-U-L-F.com. RossWolf.com. So support those that support Let's Talk Dubs podcast. Want your friends to think you're cool? Nope. Matter of fact, they'll know you're cool when you go to letstalkdubs.com. Go to the store, pick up some merch and support your favorite podcast. Keep an eye out for some new gear coming out next week. Also, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share the podcast with your friends via text message. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts and get a shout out with every five-star review. And don't forget to put your name in the review. Time to listen to our brother from the great white north, Greg Stogren with Tune Perfection. Hey everybody, on today's podcast, I've got Greg Stogren with Tune Perfection out of Toronto, Canada, and uh, he and I have been going back and forth, and, and in my quest to bring you guys, people from all over the world, we're going north of the border and grabbing one of our Canadian brethren and bring him on the podcast. Greg, welcome to the podcast. 
Thanks for having me, Bill. Pretty excited about this. Yeah, so we've been talking. You're you're a fan of the podcast, but you've also been not just not just a fan of the podcast, but you're doing things in Toronto, Canada, being a part of the scene and building cars and having cars featured and whatnot. So we've been talking back and forth, and I know you were uh, taking over a show that was coming up and a lot of stuff. So we're going to get into a lot of that that you have going on, and so letting people know that you're a part of that Toronto VW scene and helping, you know produce cars and get cars built for people. So, um, and I'm sure locally up there, they know you will get to know you here on, on, on the Southern side of the border. But as we start every podcast, we always start off with your VW story. Uh, how did you get into Volkswagens and what's your VW story? So many years ago, I in a small town, grew up in a place called Grimsby, Ontario. And I was into radio control cars and I had little Tyco cars and radio shack and stuff like that. And my buddy and I were looking at getting something a little bit more serious. So the hobby shop in town had Tamiya. So we went in, wanted to buy something on the shelf, didn't want to order it in. They had a Blackfoot, which was an F-150 monster truck. And they had a monster beetle. So my buddy was a truck guy. He's like, I'll take the truck. And I said, okay, I'll get the beetle. I didn't know what a Volkswagen beetle was. I've never really seen one before, but now I've got an RC car. That's a beetle. So my aunt and uncle actually went on a trip to Las Vegas and found a book, the one written by uh, Terry Schuler on the history of the Volkswagen Beetle or something like that. Yeah. Brought it back for me. I read through that and I'm like, oh, these are neat little cars. And then my cousin for my birthday bought me a VW Trends magazine. And that was it. Like I saw the customized cars in it and, and uh, fell in love. Car Custom had the ad on the back of the magazine with the before and after with the red car on the, I think it was on Fuchs. And uh, I'm like, I got to have one. So I was probably 14, 15 years old at the time. And then I got my first Beetle, a 73 Super Beetle, uh, when I was 15. So uh, I just, that's, I got interested in it, just hooked on it just by buying that radio control car and then reading about the history of it and, and learning about them. Nice. So, yeah. so my dad, my dad was a Chevy guy and reminded me, he's like, if you had a bought a, you'd have the fastest car around kind of thing. And, uh, was kind of disappointed that I bought a Volkswagen, but uh, whenever, whenever I went up to the garage and I needed a, a hand doing something on it, he was always there, sort of thing. So he did help out, but that's uh, yeah, that's how I got started. So you get into VWs, and now uh, one of the things that I've always been interested about is how, how the scene is in other markets. I mean, we're, we're here in in Vegas, which Vegas you know, 25 years ago had a, had a VW scene mostly off road, but the street scene was, mm-hmm. was a little thin cause the population here wasn't so great. It's been grown over time. What's the Toronto scene like in that whole greater Toronto area and, and how's that evolved over the past, you know, since you've been into Volkswagens? Right. So that would have been the uh, late eighties that I would have got that car and kind of got into it. And I can remember in Grimsby, Grimsby was a small town, I can remember changing, my dad has a sign company and I can remember changing the population signs to like 15,000 or something like that. So there wasn't a lot of bugs running around, but I remember there's a, a town a couple, couple over from us called Stony Creek. And there's these two guys, they played baseball in Grimsby. And the one guy had a lowered yellow convertible with a stinger. And I think it was on eight spokes. Nice. And his buddy had a uh, burgundy beetle lowered probably on eight spokes as well. Cause they all were. And I can remember seeing these cars and like, you know, we drive through town, they'd be in front of the bar and I'd have my head out the window looking at it sort of thing. And it was so like in real life, here's what I've seen in the magazines in my little town kind of thing. Right. 
So we did have shows. We had a club in Niagara Falls called the Niagara Volks Folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I joined that and I went to some of those meetings and they had some cars done. So it was few and far between, but we had them the same, you know, cow look or before that, um, nothing really of the Mulholland looks or anything like that, but lowered customized stingers. Some of them had dual carbs. Um, yeah, nothing like probably what you had down there, California had, but it was something it was, it was enough. Yeah. We've, uh, you know, here in Vegas, we always struggled to kind of have our own scene come into our own on the East coast. Is there on the state side on the East coast, is there a bigger scene, uh, that, that Canadian guys look forward to heading to and checking out? Is there like, like, what would be the uh, East coast version of Southern California? So it was to me. And I think probably to everybody from what I can remember, it was, and you had less on kind of thing. It was the, uh, the bug out in Virginia. So that was like the show to go to. Um, there was a pretty big one in Michigan at the time too, but the, the bug out was the one. And I took my car that I built a 68 that was in trends. I took that down to that show a couple of times and, uh, was just blown away at the huge lineups in the morning, like break of dawn. You better be sitting on that road to get in kind right. of thing. Right. Yeah. Or you're not and, getting uh, in. yeah. So, and with the racing and with the Budweiser bikini girls kind of thing, I remember pictures of those two back in the good old days. Um, so that was it. So that's Michigan and, uh, back in the nineties kind of thing. That was, that was basically what I can remember. So, and would you guys, would you guys drive down there from Canada or you would tow? Yeah. Uh, no, we were tow sort of thing. So my dad had a, uh, like an early nineties Chevy pickup truck. Mm -hmm. We rented a trailer, loaded up on the trailer. It was just to go down for the weekend in a bug. There's a Uh lot of stuff to bring with you. And I had a full display and stuff like that. So it was just a lot more. Uh, comfortable, I guess. So you had the whole, the you had the whole there. roll out the carpet, the mirrors, all that yeah. kind of business. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All the stan- stanchions around it with the rope and stuff like that. Sure. Because back in the day, and I don't even know if they do this anymore, really, you would get at the, at the end of the show, if you asked for it, you'd get your judging sheet. And I would always ask for it and I've got a binder with them all in it. So points for display, points for interior. And I'd always go through and see where I lost marks and where I could improve and even talk to the judges if they were around to do that kind of thing. So display was a, 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 a part of it. Yeah. And, so, and you had to have that was, so this was a fully detailed car top and bottom, like the, the whole, the whole, it was, deal? it was, it was my drive to high school car sort of thing, but it was clean. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't winter drive it or anything. Like we always put them away in the winter. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I pull a wheel kind of thing and I had a little like paint splash on the brake drum and in the fender well and right. stuff like that. So yeah, it was all, it was, it was cheesy. I mean, it wasn't done like today's kind of thing, right? Sure. Like it was me with a paintbrush, but yeah, it, was, it was there. It, it's a, it, you know, the, the level of cars that, that the level cars were built to in the eighties is nowhere near in comparison to where they're built today, mm-hmm. but there was still something simple and cool. And, and the uniqueness of it was every individual guy would put his own specific detail into a car. So if, if one guy's into like, you know, acorn bolts that are polished or one guy's into anodized pieces or something like that. You would yeah. see that theme throughout the car. Yeah. And this car, uh, so this, this 68 beetle, um, was this featured in, and in what, and in what magazine was it featured in? Yeah. So it was in VW trends. Um, I'm not too sure. I said sort of thing. It was, I can't remember what the issue was. Mm-hmm. Let me see. Oh, October 1995. So, and how that happened was 
um, Jeff Hollyfield from VW Trends mm-hmm. was up at. We did have shows up here in Toronto back in the day. Uh, VW Canada across Canada would have a Volkswagen show at their offices. So they did one in Toronto, um, one I think in Calgary or something like that, and one in British Columbia. And it would be the same day. And Volkswagen Canada sponsored this. So VW Trends came up to the show in Scarborough in Toronto. And I saw him walking around. I went up to him and I go, hey, what does it take to get a car in your magazine? And he goes, which one's yours? And I think a lot of us have the story. Sort of, which one's yours? I pointed out to him. He goes, yeah, I was looking at that one. Yeah, it's 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 good enough to be featured in the magazine sort of thing. So he actually drove out to Grimsby uh, that early that week and did my buddy's car and my car, did photos on both of them. My buddy never filled in all the details. Oh, come on. And never sent it in. So it never got in. <laughs> and I was like, I was geez, late teens, early 20s. So I was pretty over the moon about this. So I definitely got mine filled in and sent in. And uh, Trends just it just showed up as a one-page feature in Trends. Sure. And I asked them about it. And they said it was supposed to be two, but they had an advertiser come in at the last minute. And, you know, advertising dollars. That's it. They so, cut mine down to one. <laughs> so it's a color, a color page or black and white page? Yeah, color. It's so at color. least it was a color page. There's some where they just do yeah. a black and white feature. So Yeah, that's uh, right. Uh, but but I mean it's got to be pretty exciting it you know in your early in your early twenties late teens to yeah. you know get your car featured especially you know when you put so much time and effort into it and then you see the photographers you know I've had plenty of people photographers for the magazine and I ask them about that little bit of celebrity status they feel and walk around the car show yeah. but it's like yeah. in the same respect there are people that come up to you and say hey I want my car featured and they're like ah eh, maybe your car is featured or or feature whether or not yeah. but. What was that like for you getting that car featured, especially at such a young age? I mean, do you think that that propelled your intensity for being into Volkswagens? Uh, Or or, or was it more of recognition, like you felt like you were getting recognized? I think it was the getting recognized, all my hard work. And I I built that car over a few years kind of thing. And and like I said, fine-tuned it based on the shows and so forth. So it was nice to get it recognized. And I think then it kind of launched me into now I need to, to do something better kind of thing, right? Like I've seen what I can do with this on a limited budget when I'm in school. Sure. What can I, what can I do later sort of thing when I've got a job and stuff like that, a full-time job? No, absolutely. So it def- definitely kept me going sort of thing. And it, and, it, and it brought me some notoriety or kind of thing around town sort of thing. Like not a lot of people in the area had a car feature in the magazine. So then so. Th- does that start getting you uh getting people to start asking you to help them work on their volkswagens or start building cars for them how, how do you how do you get in to start doing doing cars for people i was still at that time i was still living at home with my parents i don't think i was building anything for anybody else but it did help me with like one guy his car went into a paint shop and he had nice eight spoke wheels when my car was featured i had uh the empty sprint stars painted the same color as the car they came with the car i was on a budget I made it work. Sure. This guy comes to me and says, my polished eight spokes, the cars in the body shop, I've got them off. Do you want to see what they look like on your car? And I'm like, yeah, I'd like to see what it looks like. I put them on and I'm like, I'm getting those kind of thing. Right. Right. So I go and record them. Nopey kind of thing. And it came on, came, they came in, I put them on the car and I said to my dad, I said, this is, this is it. Like I'm done. Like this is the way I want the car looking now sort of thing. Right. Sure, And it was a huge improvement, but the guy probably wouldn't offer me the wheels if he didn't kind of know the car. And to him, it probably meant something, right? To, yeah, like to my, I put my car on, on that my car. car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
so uh, so I did that. I got into to working on cars for other people. Jeez, uh, I guess I had built an I built another car. Uh, people started noticing that car, and then it gets into you did the work on this, yeah, or who did it for you, right? And I'm like, I did it. Oh, can you work on my 1776? Can you lower my car? Can you do this and that? I don't have any kids. I got free time. I don't work on the weekends. Yeah, bring your car by. And that's when it kind of took off. And I would say that was probably 16, 15, 16 years ago and that now, that happened. And now after the 68 Beetle, you would get your 56 Beetle. Yeah. And the, the 56 Beetle is something that's a little more, maybe more people would know that car. Right. So that was in January 2007, Huffy W's, their cow look issue, um, which if you have a cow look car, that's the issue that you want to get it into. Right. So I built that car. Um, so like I said, at the time sort of thing, I've got a job, I've got a house, I don't have a family. Now I'm going to do some traveling. So my buddy's got some uh, relatives that live in L.A. So for my first time in my life, we're going out to California and we were going to that's when the bug in 32 just like started back up. Right. Right. So, so there's a huge hiatus. It was coming back and I'm like, we got to go out to this. So we go out to it and that's when, um, Randy Gates debuted his yeah. split window case of heaven. So I saw that at whatever the burger place was kind of thing when it they had is. that and looked yeah. it all. Yeah. Looked it all over. And I went, I want to build a car as best as I can. I want to build a car like this. And I also like the Ren K for Cup class that they had going where the cars were show worthy and quick cars. Yeah. So after seeing all that, um, I just went <laughs> bank loans, max out credit cards, whatever I got to do, I'm building a car of that caliber. And that's what the 56 was. Now, where'd you find the, the 56? And we're going to get back to, to Randy's car in a second because yeah. that triggered something for me too. But the, the 56, did you find, is that a Canadian car or you found it in the States? No, that was, that was the first car I ever bought out of the U S it was in California. It was on eBay. Um, I talked to the guy about it. It didn't sell on eBay. We worked out a deal afterwards kind of thing. <laughs> I knew how to buy cars. I'm like any Bondo in this car. Nope. Nope. No Bondo in the car comes up. It's already cracking out of the quarter sort of thing when it got up here. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to have to acid dip the whole thing and start fresh. Wow. So that's what I did. And so, so it's funny you bring up Randy's car because on Buggin' 32, I've got, uh, uh, so Buggin' 32, if that's that year, the first year for the Buggin', then that's yeah. got to be, uh, that's got to be the year that Randy's car comes out and then maybe, and I'm not sure if Rich's 50 was out then, but I know when I saw Randy's car at the VW Classic, well, it would have been, Randy's car would have debuted there because the Classic would have been after that. So this this had okay. to be, what, 2003, I'm thinking? 2003, 2004, maybe? Uh, here, I wrote down, yeah, 2004. Yeah. No, the Classic was 2004. So maybe 2003. Because yeah. I did go back to back, so I think 2003. Yeah, and when I, and and when I saw Randy's car first time at the VW Classic, man, I was just like, that's what spurred yeah. me to build the Gia. Like when I saw when I saw yeah. when I saw Randy's car, and I and I knew Buddy, and I thought, man, dude, I want a car this clean. And a split window yeah. was like impossible to find, so I yeah. wasn't even thinking about a split window. I just thought, yeah, I want to build a I want to build a car even more rare than this. I'm like, I want to do a Type 34 Gia, and I had a line I <laughs> went to Vegas, but. It's funny that how those cars start to inspire people because Randy's car inspired inspired 
me to build the Gia. And yeah. then my Gia inspired <laughs> Elliot, uh, VW okay. Hoarder on Instagram. Yeah. So yeah. Elliot Van Sill, who who's, has a bunch of cars done by, because he says, I, Elliot and I were talking one day, he says, man, you owe me a ton of money. I'm like, what's up? He says, ever since I saw your Gia, man, he's like, I just been going <laughs> berserk. You know, I just building cars and whatever. And, yeah. and it was pretty funny how, you know, you see cars that are built and every car, whether you turn the wrenches on it or not, if you're making the decisions of wheels, tire, stance, you know, all that stuff, you're involved in that. You're creating the car to some degree. You know, some of us mm-hmm. have uh, more time than money or or recognize their skill set. Because when I looked at Randy's car, I'm like, there is no way I'm ever building a car that clean because right. like, everybody that listens to the podcast knows I'm three-bolt Billy and I'm going to get close enough and we're getting it on the road because <laughs> I want some right. seat time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and it it's funny how every car kicks off and inspires, you know, that what, what got me into VWs was, was the, um, it was bad Raz, you know, seeing that car. And then there was another one looked just like it. That was in on the cover of VW trends that I posted. And just that, you know, raspberry oval window with the polished fuchs was like, for me, Mm -hmm. I, I, I think with, with, with us as car guys, like no matter how big a piece of junk your car is, in your head, every time you look at it, it looks like that car. Like you yeah. see the potential yeah. of that yeah. car. So yeah. I, I just, I love how, you know, everybody, it, it's funny because everybody starts to try to rip on people and say, like, oh, you didn't build the car. And then I, I've always, I've often made the joke about like, it's kind of like the motorcycle scene where it's like you have the Jesse James versus the Paul Jr. And it's like <laughs> Paul buys parts and Jesse James forges his own steel. Yeah. And it almost gets ridiculous. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. oh, yeah, well, I forge my own steel. Like, you can't do more yeah, building right. than that. Yeah. But the the at, at, when it's all said and done, the car coming out, whoever's vision it was mm-hmm. and what it does to spur the hobby moving forward is the best thing that it does for the hobby. Now, whether it's, you know, Jeremy Brooks building a rat Tina car and it gets on the cover of hot VWs and then, and then a bunch of people start chasing that dream. And, you know, I think all of it is great for the hobby. And, and I, it's, it's always interesting how people let their, uh, their insecurities kind of take over and, and get super defensive mm-hmm. about like, well, oh, yeah, but I did this or that, but I just think it's, I think it's all good for the hobby. You know, anything that comes out that inspires and motivates people to go to the garage and build something, man. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's awesome. So I agree. I just, I think that social media sort of thing has done now that we see more stuff going. So back in the day when Randy debuted that car, we knew that buddy Hale had something to do with it or I did. Right. And I knew that he was a good painter. And that's kind of the beginning and end of it. And that car was always, to me, that was Randy Gates' car. I don't care if he didn't turn a wrench on that car. Right. That was Randy's car. Know. That was Randy's vision. But now we see stuff, and I don't know if we're going to get into this, but, you know, I type uh, or I follow Buddy Hale's yeah. um, Instagram, and he's doing a ton of stuff on that head Mueller for Elliot right now. Yeah. And every day sort of thing. Well, now we see stuff like that daily, and we go, well, that's not Elliot's thing. That's all Buddy. That's all Buddy. But back in the day, in the 90s, early 2000s we didn't see the behind the scenes right yeah but so, I, but in the same respect even behind the scenes aspect it's still elliot's car and without elliot mm-hmm. being able to afford to build that car that car is not coming you know right you know yep. and, and so there's you need both you know you, you need the builder and the buyer and you need both people mm-hmm. to make it happen so i think you know it, it now turns into like a buddy hell built car 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But it's but it's Elliot's car and Elliot's vision. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting how you know people see it, and I guess it depends on what side of the fence you're on because some people that don't have the resources to build a car to that level will be super critical on ownership. And yeah, anybody can throw a checkbook right. at a car, do whatever. But ultimately, all of it elevates the scene. It's all what pushes innovation. It's all what makes things different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and for some of us, we can, you know, my bull run bus. So there you go, beard stretcher. I just Okay, so how, how many minutes into the podcast were we? 21 minutes in, I mentioned the bull run okay. bus. For example, but that car... You know, I, I, I had it painted and, and I had young kids and I had time. I had a, you know, and I could go in the garage and do some stuff on it. And I assembled that whole thing. But it's kind of like, and, and it's just like all of us, you know, when we're, when, when we're in our car and everybody thinks it's awesome and all this stuff, we know all the flaws with it. You know what I mean? Like we know eh, mm-hmm. this should be brighter, that should be better. <laughs> but I think, you know, if you can get to the point where you, can build the car that you want. And then all of us, we're all getting older. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. some of us have less time to work in the garage and more resources. And, and for that, we want to be able to walk in the garage and just enjoy, enjoy the fruits of our hard work by having our vision, whether it's created for us or, or, you know, we build it ourselves. And it really depends on, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, your skill set and your patience, because Mm -hmm. really when it comes to building a car, man, it takes patience, a lot of patience. Yeah. And, uh, yep. you know, I've been patiently waiting for my 51 split window for a long, long time. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully this next year, 2021 is my year. And, uh, and if, if that's the case, I mean, the car, the, the car is, it's 70% there. And, and there's a few things that I'm holding up on it right now. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, in, in my head, 11 years, you know, a few years ago when I started the project, I'm thinking I can't wait to just get this car on the road and drive it. And the lo- right. and, and that's my big payoff is going to be driving the car. And, and kind of the roughest thing about it is, you know, buddy and I joke about it. Is he's like, well, I know if I'm, if Bill, if I'm building it for Bill, he's going to get in and stomp it. Like he's going to drive the crap out of that <laughs> yeah. car. Yeah. And it's the reason I made the video, you know, uh, I made a little, that little video on Instagram where it was, you know, build them nice, drive them hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's one of these things where, for me, the payoff is the driving of it. And for some people, they want to freeze time. What, mm-hmm. what guy are you? Are you wanting like to never see a chip on it, always see it flawless and keep it in mint condition? Or, or where are you at? I was, after I built, so the 68 that was in trends, like I said, it was my car in high school. It was my car through uh, university sort of thing. So things happened to it. And then I built the 50. So it had scratches and dings and stuff like that. Funny thing was uh, coming home from that show in Toronto after I talked to Jeff for VW Trends, there was a piece of firewood I hit on the highway. Oh, no. And so I hit it and it came up and it put a dent in the driver's side fender at the bottom. And so I, I'm, I'm just, oh, my God. Like I got some <laughs> clear, like I said, my dad has a sign shop. So I got some clear vinyl and I'm trying to tape down the paint that's chipped, like, but it hasn't come off yet. Right. Um. So I tape it all down. I go to Jeff and I'm like, oh, my God, like you're doing a shoot for this and I've got this. And he looks and he goes, oh, I can work around that. I'm like, oh, perfect. So you don't see it in the magazine at all. Um, But stuff happens kind of thing. So the 56, I built that, got in the magazine, same thing. So some rims, I bought some Fuchs. It was the wintertime. The car was in the garage. I cleaned them outside. They froze. I put them in the garage beside the car, stood them up, 
they melted like it thawed. They fell over against the car and put a dent in the fender. Oh. And uh, and it's still there and the mark on it sort of thing. After that happened, I went kind of what's the point? I don't want to build a car magazine quality and nothing can ever touch it that you're afraid to drive it. You're afraid of stone chips and stuff. So uh, the next car two cars after that I built, it's not a perfect car for that reason, right? Because I said, if my kids' bikes fall against it in the garage, yeah. I don't want to be freaking out on the kids, like like what you did sort of thing and yeah. stuff like that. So I think you got to, a car is a car sort of thing. It's built to be driven. It's built to be enjoyed. And really that what is what I enjoy doing. I go to shows. The best part about going to shows is driving there and driving home for yeah. me. Or going on a cruise for the show and stuff like that. No, I so no, I driven. agree. I agree. I mean, it's and it's funny how we change, how our tastes change because sometimes yeah. you want things to stay perfect forever, and yeah. then my attitude just was like, okay, let's get the first show over with so I can yeah. drive it. Like, because right. if there's one thing I really dislike, it's cleaning cars. Like, I I, I hate it with a passion <laughs> because yeah. it's not driving the car. You know what I mean? And and uh, I just enjoy you know. I enjoy enjoying the cars and I've always, I've often looked at cars and thought, you know, people that build these cars that they just sit in a garage and never move because they don't want to put, I was conflicted at one time I owned a, a Mexican beetle and mm-hmm. it had 3000 kilometers on 15, I'm sorry, 1500 kilometers on it since new 2003. And it was yeah. in, you know, 98% condition. And then I bought some four lug cosmics and then I put some drop spindles on it. And then I drove, I drive it around, sneaking around every now and again. And then, it just killed me to drive it because every time I drove it, I wanted to mod it. And then I kept thinking like, well, I can't mod it because I can't keep putting miles on it. And then I was just torn. Right. And, yeah. and you know, luckily I traded the car to a friend of mine. But, you know, yeah. I, I struggled with that car. I struggled with it because <clears throat> I wanted to enjoy it. It wasn't what I wanted. Yeah. It looked really cool, but it didn't It didn't bring that functionality to me. So uh, for me, it was better to get rid of it because I hate to have a car you can't drive and every car mm-hmm. to me has to have a purpose. So, um, yeah. so talk to me about the, the 56. So the 56 was a full build for you, full pan off yeah. the whole nine, yeah. right? You acid dipped the car yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So acid dipped it, it came back and, uh, it definitely needed some work. There's uh, definitely some filler hiding, some damages sort of thing. So cut all that out, got it all redone. Um, contacted Pat Downs at CB Performance. Uh, I knew him from another firm, a motor he had built for the 68 and said, uh, you know, kind of give me the best of what you can. So we were going to go with the 2332, which was kind of the biggest at the time. And then he surprised me with a 2387 because they come out with a bigger crank sort of thing. So he could do a 2387. Uh, they had the turbo system. They had a prototype fuel injection system. And I said, yeah, yeah, give me that prototype, prototype sort of thing. Like, I want to be the first one out with this. So I think they had five systems out there. I had one of them. Um, It was neat. I love listening to your podcast about Ron Loomis. I think that was a really good one. I did have a Ron Loomis uh, cage in that, six-point, tied into the frame horns, four-wheel disc brakes, line lock, Jeanberg shifter. At the time, and I'm sure you were on it quite a bit too, there's the Cowlick Forum. Yeah. And... I was on there all the time and ask him for help and you get help. And there's none of this stuff today sort of thing where people just kind of pick your questions apart and, and stomp on your, <laughs> your parade kind of thing. Right. Hurt your feelings. Like <laughs> yeah. what a stupid question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so a everybody dynamic. Yeah. 
yeah, people are there to help sort of thing. And that's, that's really how I got that car built sort of thing was the help from uh, Califorum and so forth. So that was, uh, that was my dream car. Now, did you ever run that car in the quarter mile? I did. So we, uh, growing up, my parents, they weren't really drag racers, but my dad was an announcer at the local track and my mom would hand out time slips at the end. So I grew up around drag racing. I've met Shirley Muldowney. I've met Don Prudhomme and Tom McEwen and all the big names back in the day. Yeah. So I had drag racing in me a little bit. So I, I built this Volkswagen. Um, my dad doesn't think it'll really do much because it's a Volkswagen. And uh, they would come and look after my kids. I had kids at this time now. They come. I had one daughter. They'd look after the daughter on a Friday night so my wife and I could go to the track and run the car. Really? So it's funny. He'd say, I'd come home. I don't know, it'd be midnight or whatever. And he'd be like, did you red light? And I'm like, nope, never red lit. He's like, you're not trying hard enough. Right. Right. So, so uh, any, that would beat, it was a street car. Um, like I said, 2387 turbo EFI. It would beat any street car at the track on a Friday night. It'd have to be a full on race car to beat that car. So the best time ended up being an 1194 at wow. about 109th order. And that was on, I, don't know, I think we had about 15 pounds of boost, uh, race fuel in it, and DOT slicks, the M&H DOT slicks That's on That's pretty it. dang quick, man, 1194. So, I think we get jaded anymore when we're looking at seven and eight-second bugs. And like, yeah. Oh, big deal. <laughs> like an 11-second bug, is re- it's blisteringly yeah. fast. Like if – if you've never driven one, it's 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 sketchy feeling. I mean, it's like it it's just ske- it's sketchy going through the lights and slowing down, and then yeah. it starts dancing on you, kind of thing, right? When you're not on the accelerator. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> w- without question. So, yeah. so you, you, and that was and that was funny because I was running that that day, the, the time that I ran the eleven ninety four, um, I was running twelves, and the twelves were coming down, sort of thing. I was just learning how to drive the car, mm-hmm. and the guy giving me the time slip at the end of the track, he'd give me the time slip, and he kind of say to me like what it was before, or whatever. And then I go up to get it this one time, and there's a ear to ear grin on his face, and I'm like, "What?" He's like, "You're into the elevens." I'm like, "No way!" So that one was eleven ninety six, and the next one was eleven ninety four, and that was the best. But yeah. yeah, it was a great feeling to be like into the elevens, and I think it could do better if if there was a better driver kind of thing. I'm not. You know, it was kind of, I raced it for two years Yeah, and that was what I could do. Yeah. There, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, it's, it's not easy to drive a bug quick and consistently too. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, to get something down in the 11s, especially a car that you can drive on the street. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. And so what, what ends up happening with the 56? So the 56, um, built it, it's basically done everything that I wanted to do with it. I want to build the next car. I got to finance it sort of thing. So the mm-hmm. 56 gets sold to uh, a local gentleman that was the year that he was born and he liked the car and basically he wanted it and he wanted to open the garage door and look at the car sitting in his garage and close the garage door and go back in the house kind of thing. He had a 62 ragtop beetle as well. My 56 was a ragtop and uh, he liked the two sitting in his garage. So I sold it and then uh, built a 59 convertible mm-hmm. on a full air ride. Now the air ride you had on that, what what kind of air system was it on there? So it was, it was totally air cooled kind of thing. So I was probably one of the four, first dealers for uh, for air cooled, mm-hmm. and uh, so I got that kit to kind of showcase it and, and try and sell more and so forth. So so that's what I did was a and and how did you? I mean, it was 
switching that car, putting that car in air, how did you, I mean, are you like sold on air now or are you a static guy or what was the, what was the experience after doing the air suspension? It's basically the same experience after doing a turbo EFI car sort of thing. If you want to have something super reliable, you don't want to have to mess around with it. You jump in the, in the, in the car and turn the key and go. Don't do turbo EFI even to this day. Don't do air ride. Yeah. All you're doing is opening up like my dad always said to me sort of thing. He's like, as soon as you, you know, didn't leave it stock, mm-hmm. you're going to have problems. Right. And he's right. As soon as you start modding that, especially a Volkswagen, it's not as reliable anymore. And that's my feelings on air. I love, you know, when we were kids, we had the cars, they were slammed. You'd hit a manhole cover. You'd kind of clench your teeth sort of thing and right. feel it hit the front bulkhead or whatever it is. And then when air came out, I'm like, oh, cool, it can be low, but then I can raise it up if I'm driving it and not not be clenching my teeth all the time. Sure, sure. So it's neat to have that. But then you're you're breaking brackets, you're uh, blowing out bags and lines and stuff and just becomes more complicated and and not as fun anymore. And that's and and that's sometimes as you know, as you're trying to walk the path of like reliable and, you know, and cool, you know, and which Mm -hmm. which do you want to be? Because I think the main reason everybody goes with air doesn't matter whether it's Volkswagen or hot rod or anything is everybody loves to see the car laid out. Mm-hmm. And the reality is in order to do that, you've got to have it on air or you're just hardcore and don't care about your pan and it's <laughs> laying on the ground yeah. and you're banging and everything. And, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, the, the functionality of it as that's evolved, I mean, it's evolved over the years. The VW scene seems to have slightly stagnated a little bit in regards to air suspension. I think it may be because the cars are so light in the front, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And -hmm. then on top of that, the lack of independent articulation in the front suspension, you know, makes it, makes it a big deal. But, uh, I've never had a car on air, um, only because I've always feared like, losing air and then dragging the car mm-hmm. home and being stuck or whatever <laughs> the case is. But I mm-hmm. see that, you know, the 59 convertible, I saw that you did, did you do some of the, uh, on your 65, uh, 13 window? Did you mm-hmm. have, did you have air on that thing as well? Yeah. So when I bought, so I had, I'm trying to think of how it went sort of thing. So I had that convertible mm-hmm. and then, um, yeah, and then my buddy saw that 13-window bus. It was up for sale on, I think it was on the Samba. And I picked that up, and it was on full air ride that Pete had done at air cooled kind of thing. So he only had, he had the front kit, he had those Firestone air shocks on it, and the rear kit was very similar to the rear kits that he had for the Beatles kind of thing with that square bar with the hind joints on the end that runs between the shock mount and the torsion housing, weld-in plates kind of thing, and then the bag came up to some brackets. And the back end, it wasn't, it wouldn't go, there wasn't a whole lot of movement between aired out and aired up sort of thing, right? right? And the front end had quite a bit. Um, it was neat. The guy that I sold it to ripped the back end off and threw it in the garbage. Yeah. And and uh, I think he left the air shocks on the front sort of thing. So the issue, I like air if you have an IRS rear suspension and you can somehow cut into that arm and make a pocket or like Nate does for the buses, he does the tubular arms. And I know there's other places out there that do stuff as well. Um, if you do that, that square tubing with the heim joints on each end, all that I had was that thing would twist all the time and it would never be straight up and down. It'd always be leaning to one side. Right. So and that's not, the bags don't like that. Right? Yeah. The bag articulation is the, is the most critical thing. And when, and when you do a, 
you know, uh, like a, a fulcrum, a fulcrum hinge suspension. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's different than something that just goes straight up and down, which, you know, the, the uh, go ahead, personal car mentioning in my 51 split window is going to have, it's got the arm chassis all the way around. And I keep looking at the arm chassis going, man, if there's a perfect suspension for airbags, it's mm-hmm. the four coil mm-hmm. suspension, yeah. but you know, yeah. I'm still, a, I'm still a little reluctant, but, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. So, um, now getting back to, uh, y- so your lineup of cars, you had the 59 Beetle, it was a clean, clean car, but you say you didn't have a long, you didn't have a long enough to have that car featured in a magazine. No, it, it could have been, I had the powder, the pan was powder coated, uh, gloss black. All the suspension parts were super, uh, great job. The guy did on the bodywork on it sort of thing. It was definitely magazine quality. Um, life happens. Uh, we were moving at the time. You do all the financing with the bank. The bank screwed things up. I was 10,000 short, basically. And it's like, how are we going to get that? And the wife's just like, that's how we're going to get that. So the convertible the goes and, and things get paid off. Yeah. So, so I regret, you know, I regret selling that car. I wish I didn't have to. I will replace that car probably by the end of the year with something else. Yeah. And, uh, and it, yeah, it was a, it was a great car. I loved it. So now after the after the fifty nine convertible, you you have the Type Two, the thirty window. Um, yeah. And then how long I, you, how long do you have that car for? Now that car was like a, a three quarter finished car, and you picked it up and finished it off, or somewhere in there just before before I bought the thirteen window and I had the convertible. I bought Tim Tim Hesse out of Florida. Uh-huh. He'd had a few cars featured in Ultra VW and magazines and stuff like that. I was down in Florida talking to Tim, or I was talking to someone, Kip or something like that, and I said, I'm looking for a notchback. I love notchbacks. Oh, go talk to Tim. I think his is for sale. So I talked to Tim, hash out a deal. Now I own Tim Hesse's notchback. That one I had for a year or two. The wife didn't like the car. The kids didn't like riding in the car. Really? And if I'm going to be driving the car by myself sort of thing, it's not that fun. Sure. So uh, I had sold it. I didn't do a whole lot to it. I bought it. I changed a couple of things and uh sold it off but it was it was a great car and i tell you it's 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 a it's a hard feeling to stomach sort of thing when i bought that buy that car show it up here along with my convertible i do nothing to that car it wins best of show best interior best type three and then my 59 convertible that i put so much work into one i don't like best engine or something like that and that was it and I'm like, so I can go out and spend like half the money on a car. Sure. And take home all these awards kind of thing, right? Tim did a great job on it. Wow. Well, yeah, but, but I think that also comes to this, this, the status of what type of car it is, because I think cars that are more unique will draw way more attention than just a bug, yeah. because you've seen cars that are like, let's say one car is cleaner than another, but the car that's not as quote unquote clean gets, mm-hmm. you know, picks up an award. I mean, I had a guy that happened. <laughs> That happened at the uh, last year at the VW, uh, the Salt Lake VW Classic. I took my mm-hmm. square. I took my square back there. Now my square back was a car that I had owned, and then sold it to some friends. They built the car to their taste. I got it back, changed the wheels on it, and just made some minor adjustments. Nothing major. I take it up to the show. It's just kind of my, you know, my my easy up and everything fits in it. And it's yeah. a, it's a Euro yeah. look square back, you know, kind of cool. And I get yeah. up there and I win best of show, or not best oh, of yeah. show. I'm sorry, best type three. And okay. a guy who had a type thirty four Gia is up there, and it was an okay. It was an okay Gia. It was nice. It, it um, you know, but uh, he was he was looking for the car. <laughs> he said, "What? 
well, here's the car that won the best type three. I want to check it out. I got to, you know, cause he wanted to go come look for my car and pick it apart and stuff yeah. like that. And yeah. it, it's interesting. People's purpose for going to a show. Like I, I think after, after I debut a car and I win one award, I'm like, all right, cool. Like my, my goal in the beginning was always just to go to like the classic and like mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. at the classic. Then yeah. after that, like, I don't care. Like, okay, I yeah. showed it. Great. Now let's drive the crap out of it. And it's, it's the the squareback had such a unique look that even if his Type Thirty Four gear was a little cleaner, mm-hmm. it didn't garner as much attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's always you know you can always debate back and forth whether you know if uh, if people's choice is worth doing or whatnot. And we're gonna get mm-hmm. into this in a second because you're doing you, you're you were scheduled to do a show this year, and I want to talk about um yeah. your club. Well, first I want to talk about. The I got to talk about your double cab. Uh, your double cab hasn't been featured. No. Yeah, and I love that double cab, bro. I mean, uh, listen, <laughs> you know, you probably know why I love the double cab, but that I have a picture of mine in the garage that's sitting there on those same wheels. When I bought it, it was dove blue, but it was right. a, okay. it, it was a trashed paint job, and uh, I have it sitting like on jacks with those wheels underneath it. But oh yeah, I, I dig. If anybody who knows knows, it's probably sitting on twists, which it is. And I just love, I just love the look of those wheels on a bus. I just think those wheels are. I do too. They're they're just a good look. And and tell me about the double cab. What's the story on the double cab? So the double cab, those wheels on the double cab actually came off of the thirteen window bus that I bought out of California. And when uh, Pete at Aircooled had done all the work on it, sort of thing, he had put on those seventeen inch twists. Mm-hmm. I went and took them off shortly after and put on some 15-inch Fuchs that I had laying around. He actually reached out to me and said, do you want to sell the 17-inch twist? Because it's hard to find 17 by 7s right? So the Porsches that they came on were 17 by 7 in the front and something by 17 by 8 or 17 by 8.5 in the back. So you basically got to buy two full sets of wheels to get your 17 by 7s Well, not necessarily. Mm. <laughs> All my cars run staggered widths. But then again... Yeah. You know, it, there's yeah. a cost to be the boss. You know what I mean? And it's right. like, yeah, the crew yeah. cab. I had to narrow. I had to narrow my rear torsions, uh, right. three quarters of an inch on each side, which is that's a okay. pretty big undertaking. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the seventeen sevens. Yeah, yeah. So I had them on the thirteen, took them off, put them on the double cab. The story behind the double cab was, again, I sold another car. I forget which one it was. Had some money kicking around, so I'm like, I want a double cab. So I go on eBay again, and I'm like, uh, oh, wow, there's actually a double cab on eBay sort of thing. I don't see this too often. It's in California. Uh, Bid on it. Don't get it. Doesn't sell. The guy contacts me afterwards. We hash out a deal. So another vehicle that I'm bringing up from California. It's all stock basically at the time, but it's 1600 in it. Um, It's painted too? Painted done? It's Yes. It was was dove blue on top, but the guy had, it was like off white on the bottom. Oh. So I had it shipped up to a buddy of mine in Ohio that just kind of paints in his shop. He doesn't have a booth or anything like that. And I'm like, just just make it one color. So we just sprayed it basically from the rain gutter down because you can tell on the roof that was a little bit of a different color. Mm-hmm. Because when you have that break point of the rain gutter to roof, it's yeah, easy to hide stuff. Sure. So he painted it just from there down, did some body work, body work on it, shipped it up, and uh, – I tell you, this is why I don't buy vehicles off of eBay anymore or without seeing vehicles. Uh-huh. Definitely not as advertised. Sure. Um, there is Bondo in it. The bottom was not that clean, but it was good enough for me as we've talked about how we like our vehicles now. It's a strong enough platform for me to do the 2110, 
the the uh, the tranny from Rancho in it, four wheel disc brakes from Russell at Old Speed, uh, four inch narrowed beam from CB, all the stuff that I wanted to do for it, did it, and I tell you, it's I love I love that truck. Did uh, Claire's panels inside. I love trying to keep some of the stuff that it comes with. So the seat covers were what came with it. Right. And uh, now I had a truck to drive. The kids like riding around the back of it. I can throw mountain bikes in the back of it. Yeah, I, I love Trucks my cool. I love my crew cab, man. It's like they're they're fully versatile. You can actually like when when I built mine, we didn't even bother. We didn't waste our time trying to straighten the bed out. My bed's got dents and all no. that stuff in it. And yeah. I just we just bedlinered it, and I put yeah. some a track system in there to strap stuff down. But yeah. I mean, they're they're utilitarian. And they're they're super super convenient. What are you running for power plant in that? So twenty one ten CB performance engine builder's kit, and then I've got an engine builder up here. I don't get into building engines, and uh, he's built a lot of motors for me. He put it together, uh, dual Weber forty fours on it. Um, the exhaust is a vintage speed, and uh, I don't know I don't know what it would you know dyno out at. I think in CB's ads it should be around one hundred and fifty horse or something like that when you buy the kits. Sure. Um, but it, it definitely gets up and goes. Now, it's a fun little truck. Now let's talk a little bit about, yeah, I love the crew cab and all you guys that are listening, if you go to let's talk dubs.com and go to the blog page, everything that we're talking about, I'll be, I'll have some pictures posted up on there and uh, you guys will be able to follow along with what we're talking about to check out all these different cars. So, um, in re in respect to what you do at, uh, at tuned perfection, like what, what's your, what's your, mo over there so so it's i started up the business back in uh when i was building that 56 and wanting to go full route like i said sort of thing i'm like i can't pay retail for all the parts that i want to get on this thing sort of thing so i'm going to start up a business and get the stuff wholesale and i'm going to start selling stuff off and so forth so that's how tune perfection started off sort of thing legitimate business got my business license all that kind of stuff like I said, I was one of the first dealers for air-cooled, um, CB performance, uh, stuff like that. So it started up as a necessity, basically, to build the 56. And then from there, um, the inventory that I keep now, how it started off is I'm building the car. And everybody knows this, that's at home sort of thing. It's like you're building a car. I'm going to get this done in the garage tonight. You get an hour into it, and you're like, oh, I'm missing this piece. So now you're on the computer ordering it from wherever sort of thing. Wait until it comes in before you can kind of get going on the car again. So if that happened to me, I'd order two or three of that piece. And that's how I started building up the inventory. So I'm like, if other people are doing the same thing as I am, this is a piece that's often overlooked. I'll make sure that I have it in stock kind of sure. thing. So I started doing stuff like that. Same thing, like you want a four-inch narrow beam. You phone up Pete at air-cooled kind of thing. And he says, you know, it's I'm three weeks behind, whatever it is. And I'm like, well why don't we carry inventory sort of thing? I'm going to put some of those beams into stock. So I started doing that. So, so that's how the, the parts side of tomb perfection started. But as we were discussing, people see the cars at the shows, know that I built it. Hey, can you do this for me? Can you do that? Can you put in a narrowed beam? So forth. So I can't, I've lost track of how many cars I've worked on. I just do it part time. It's evenings and weekends. And, um, I'm kind of known up here now in the GTA for, being the guy to lower, if you want a, a bug slams, talk to me. Mm -hmm. If you want a vehicle on air ride, talk to me because I've done quite a few of them for customers. And uh, that's kind of my strength. So right now sitting at the shop, I've got a car, four-inch narrow beam going in it, adjustable spring plates on the back, 
There's another oval sitting in the driveway, six inch beam going in that one, adjustable spring plates in the back, 51 split, just had to do the brakes on it. Again, four inch beam in it, adjustable spring plates in the back. And uh, I love that setup. Adjustable spring plates in the back, adjustable front beam. If I roll it out of the shop and they're like, I wanted it higher, I wanted it lower, you're not pulling stuff apart in the back end to readjust the spring plates and so forth. You're cranking an Allen key sort of thing to do it. Yeah. So every car I do right now, adjustable spring plates, adjustable beam. Yeah, spring plates are like, like once it's once you cross that bridge and get adjustable spring plates, it's like everything else is a huge waste of time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, you roll it out, you know, and you're like, well, I did like, four inside clicks and three outside on this one on both right. sides. And then you roll it out and you, you measure it and it's sitting a little bit lower on one side. You're like, Oh it. yeah. Back end sort of thing doing it again. Oh man. So no more of that. Well, and so you do the, you do the VW thing, you pursue it, you pursue it as a hobby. I mean, obviously we all pay the bills usually with our day job, just like I do. And you know, the VW thing, and, and it seems to be this, this, this vortex that just pulls you in and gets you deeper and deeper and deeper. And now this year you were planning on doing a car show because a guy who was doing a big car show up there had turned it, you worked it, worked it out and turned it over to you. And obviously with what's happening in the market right now, that didn't take place, but talk about how you moved into, to take over the show and let's talk about the show a little bit. So hopefully next year we get a huge turnout. Cool. So what from working on cars for people and Volkswagens, what ends up happening, I think, to a lot of us that work on the cars, there's not a lot of money in it. There's a lot of hours. You don't know how long it's going to take because something always, you know, what a job should be a couple hours and you run into this problem and that problem on the bugs. So there's not a lot of guys that work on them anymore. And so when somebody calls me up and they've got this car and they need something to do, I've got three sitting in the drive. My, my wife's like, remember, you got a birthday party this weekend for so-and-so and this and that. And I'm like, still to the guy on the phone, okay, bring it over, drop it off. I'll get to it when I can. Because I want to help people out with it sort of thing. And I think people listening may, if you don't work on cars for other people, you might not realize that. And it's like, oh, he just wants more money off this. No, I I wish I could say no. But I know if I say no, they may lose interest in the car. It may go to someone else who's not going to do a good job on the car. So I want to kind of give back to the community sort of thing. So I'm, I'm working on these cars for people. So this show came about. Uh, since the 90s, it's been going on. It's called the June Jitterbug. It's mm-hmm. in Niagara Falls. Uh, it's always been in the Niagara area. Um, I think it went for over 30 years. And John from John's Bug Shop, whether it be with the Niagara Volks Folks Club or on his own sort of thing, he would put on the show. And everybody in the area, and I'm sure every every town has a show like this sort of thing, Every year in June, you knew the June jitterbug. They barely needed to advertise it, and they get 300 cars at it sort of thing. So a few years ago, um, as I made more and more contacts, I would talk to John and say, we need to promote this more. Like, let's try and get more people to this sort of thing. I will submit it to Hot BW's magazine. I will submit it to the Samba. Let's try and get, you know, a little bit more publicity for the show. The other thing they didn't have, and I love doing back to the show we talked about in, in um, Virginia earlier on sort of thing, right. you would drive around to hotels and you would see, visit people at the hotels at night and have a beer with them sort of thing and see some of the cars. And that was always great. There's no host hotel for the show in Niagara Falls. There's a campground that people would stay at, but no consistency in hotels. So years ago, I started up the host hotel. I would make all the arrangements. I started doing a little bit more marketing for the show. Unfortunately, last year, John um, had a tumor on his spinal cord located up between his shoulder blades. 
Um, they operated on him. It wasn't cancerous, but it left him in a wheelchair. So they did the show kind of half-assed last year sort of thing. There was a show, but there wasn't really any awards. There was no door prizes and stuff like that. It was just kind of a get-together, a final show. So I didn't want to see it die. I've been going to this show since 1991. I haven't missed a year attending it, whether I had a car there or not. And I said to John, I'd like to see this continue. Um, and basically he said, well, I don't want to give up the name. The June Jitterbug stays, but you can do what you want with it from there. So I know Scott Sane from down in South Carolina. I've been to his uh, drag day shows numerous years. And he started up a show called German Air in uh, October, November. And we loved the name. So I talked to Scott and said, Scott, can we use the name German Air for a show up here in Canada? And uh, it wasn't anywhere near the time of his show. It's in June. His show is in October, November. Like I said, go ahead. So we came up with the Niagara German Air car show and social. And his is drag day and social. But we don't have drag racing. So we just did car show and social. So this was it. This was the year 2020 was ours. It's in Hot BW's magazine. Got a nice little advertisement in there. It's on the Samba early. We've got the park reserved. We've got bouncy castles. And you know, and I know that on uh, previous shows, there's been a lot of talk about how hard it is to put on a show and how much work there is and behind the scenes and stuff like that. Right. Um, we've got a, a lot of people to support us. We've got sponsors. And this happens. <laughs> COVID-19, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it. The brakes come on. No show this year. Now, luckily, we weren't out of pocket, really, anything. They let us carry the deposit for the show over next year. Um, but, and I know that we had talked sort of thing about sure. you coming up. You've got family up here sort of thing. And uh, I talked to Russell at Old Speed. I talked to Bill Schwimmer. Thank goodness, just due to your shows kind of thing, you know, I'm listening, I hear that Bill moves out, out east. Right. So I reached out to him sort of thing. He was thinking about coming up. And, uh, and so we couldn't have the show and it would have been last weekend and it was awesome weather up here. It was cool, <laughs> but it wasn't cold. Right. It was sun and cloud. And the week before the show, I said, uh, it's myself and, uh, Jamie Gilbert, my engine builder sort of thing. And his wife, it's the three of us that are doing the show. And I said, we should still try and do a cruise. Uh, things up here in Canada with this COVID-19 thing, it's different between provinces, just like in the U.S. between states. Right. Ontario, Quebec were two of the hardest hit provinces for cases. So we're a little bit behind on the other provinces on what we're allowed to do. So still no gatherings over five people and stuff like that. So I said, let's see what we can do for a cruise because there's been cruises going on. So cruise up here by definition is show up. We'll give you a map. Everybody kind of stay together, follow in line, and we drive around for an hour kind of thing. So so on Sunday, we did that. We had 60 cars come out. Um, it was it was a good turnout for short notice. We only advertised it a week before. Yeah. And uh, and we did that cruise, and it was great sort of thing. We're hoping that, uh, you know, there's a photographer up there that took some rolling shots and stuff. Uh, I've heard that Hot PWs is kind of looking for for features and stuff like that because there's no shows for them to cover right now sure so they're kind of they're kind of running out of material so i'm hoping to get it in uh, in hot bw's we'll talk to them and see and uh and all the uh, we're hoping for the best for 2021 <laughs> so yeah it's what it's one of these things where um you know unless you've put on a show you don't understand the stress that's involved because it seems like oh man i'm just gonna you know it's gonna be the same day same weekend no big deal and then when you start peeling off dollars to like reserve this and do that you're thinking yeah. Well, I hope I get my money back. I hope enough people show up and and, and support this right. thing. And then 
not to mention every because because I put on a swap meet out here twice a year, mm-hmm. and this year we didn't do it because of COVID nineteen, and we're going to cancel the the fall event, and we're just going to say you know what we'll just do it twenty twenty one. Yeah, but it's one of those things where there's so much stress that people don't realize because as you're sitting there a month and a half before the event, any free moment that you have, you're thinking, I should be calling somebody. I should be promoting the show. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Because anytime you try to, you try to delegate that or pay people or, you know, pay a guy to deliver flyers or, uh, there was one point where, um, you know, if you've got any kind of event, everybody wants to take your advertising dollars. And I and I had somebody come up to me with some geo uh, fencing, like, oh, we do this geo fencing, yeah. and we'll put a digital fence around an area, and all the people in that area will get, you know, some sort of you know pop up on their phone about yeah. your event and all this stuff. And it's like, there's, and the tough part today with the car market is trying to market to all those the different demographics that are in our scene alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, in our scene, you've got guys in their teens, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. I mean, it runs the gamut and the late 30 to 60 year olds are all on Facebook. And then some of the 20 to 40 year olds are on Instagram. And, you know, then you get, you you get people that are on the Samba and it's like, there's so, Mm -hmm. there's so many different avenues to go through to to get that that uh yeah. the message out you know it's it's become really challenging to get it broad-based marketed to all the different people so mm-hmm. it's just especially in the younger generation they're just a different group like younger generations not really that concerned with swap meets it seems like like right. swap, they don't really care yeah. about swap meets and you know they're kind of a you know, drive it build it make it ratty and just cruise it you yeah. know what i mean so yeah. it, it's always interesting the dynamics of it but you know i think it, that's a big deal to take on a show and to do that. And mm-hmm. you probably thought at first when you took it on like, oh, I'll do this. No big deal. And then as soon as you took it and, and the reality hits you, it's like, this is a pretty big deal to do. Right. Yeah. I tell you, you you've got to, you've got to be financially stable to do it as well. Like you're saying sort of thing. So we're running, we're crunching the numbers and I think we have a, a budget of like 10 grand or something like that for first year. Like we're not going overboard. We're not sure. getting a bunch of banners made up and stuff like that. We'll see how the first year does to go to the second year. And just, yeah, like stupid little things like T-shirts. And I'm like, I want it to be like the California shirts, like multicolor, three cars, this and that, because the shirts from before are kind of like stupid. I always hated them sort of thing. So I go out and I have a guy design the back of the shirt and he does it all by by a drawing sort of thing. Doesn't even do it computerized. He just scans it after. So there's like, I don't know, 400 and some odd dollars US I've got already tied up just in the logo. Yeah, now just, it's a bunch of colors. Just painting, right? just paying him yeah. to do the logo, then yeah. burning the screens, then, <laughs> yeah. then, then it's like, well, that's it. So then I go to screen printers and I'm like, I need to have this done on a shirt. And they're like, we can't, it's too many colors. I'm like, what? I told them what I needed. And they're like, no, we can't. It's like going to be all this and this. We can't do that on a shirt. So I'm like, so I just spent $400 on this awesome picture and I can't have it put on a shirt. Well, sure enough, you go to another guy that specializes in shirts and there's a different method he can do to do it but it's going to cost me 18 bucks a shirt. Well, we wanted to sell them for 20, 20 bucks. Yeah. And we had, we had all the profit thing figured out is how much we'd make to go towards the show. Now it's two bucks off every shirt. So my partners are like, you screwed up. And I'm like, hang on, we'll figure this out. So now it's given us some more time and stuff like that to, to see, but it's first year kind of. And it's like trying, trying to figure out who to connect with to get 
you know, because the funny part is the, all the money you'll make to pay for the shirts. The goal, I think, when you're starting an event like this is is to lay out the money to get your money back and then to have the event have its own money to spend. Right. You know what I mean? So next year you're not begging and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you're, you're not because – it's interesting when you reach out to people for sponsorship and things to that extent, you know, I just saw there was an event going on recently. And so I just sent a message to the guy and said, Hey, I'm going to send you like six shirts and you know, whatever, you know, you cool with that. And the guy's like, wow, man, cool. And I'm like, and, and, and I'm doing it cause I want to promote my podcast, but also I'm part of the scene and I know yeah. how much work it is. So I thought, ah, it's no big deal, man, for me to, you know, it cost me six shirts plus, you know, $11 to ship yeah. them. And, but yeah. You know, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I've been there, man, and I know what it's like mm-hmm. and, and, and reaching out for sponsorship help or any of that kind yeah. of stuff. You know, everybody, it, it seems like everybody thinks you're, you know, like you're, you're trying to, it's the most oh, that's it. odd thing I've ever experienced. Like I, I'm reaching out to you to help you promote your business mm-hmm. and you act like I'm asking for something for, for like, here I have right. your demographic right here. Yeah. And I, you know, but it, it's, you know, we've had, I've had that discussion with a lot of people in respect to the VW world only advertises to the VW people. So we're not looking for new mm-hmm. converts. We're busy preaching to the right. choir. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's and, right. And I always yeah. thought to myself, I've never seen a VW company advertise in Hemmings Motor News right? or yeah. in Haggerty's thing or in mm-hmm. any universal car thing to get more people into the hobby. And it's always just been a, an interesting thing, you know, where it's just a, a unique marketing ploy, but yeah, I commend you for taking on the, the show. Cause it's a big thing. And especially when you have something that's, that's a tradition that because of mm-hmm. circumstances isn't able to go on. And just for the fact of, you know, you're not doing it for the money. You're doing it no. strictly for the purpose of having the event. Yeah. yeah. Keeping I mean, it going. Yeah, that's the reason why we do ours here because people think we're, we're over here counting tons of money and we're just sweating bullets hoping that it just pays for itself because we mm-hmm. don't want to look stupid. But the reality yeah. is, you know, you, to create an event that people enjoy, you, you know, you need so much going yeah. on there. But yeah, yeah, I commend you for that, man. That's a, it's a big state to eat, man, you know. And, Thanks. And, so. and, and you're doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it to keep the event going because as soon as that event that's dies, it. it's one more yeah. event. You know, people, I'm not. I'm done with my Volkswagens. Nobody's doing those anymore, you know? Right. No shows. Yeah. 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 So keep it going sort of thing. You're right. It's, um, and back in the day, again, my dad comes into the story. He says, I'll never take, he was into, he had a Corvette and stuff like that. He's like, I'll never take my car to a show where they're charging me to show the car and charging spectators to see it. Now, drag racing is something a little bit different, right? The spectators are getting something more for their dollar. And we believe in the same thing. So it's going to be a fee to show your car. There's no fences around the event or anything else sort of thing. Spectators are free. Uh, charge the vendors as well kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we're not we're not doing it to make money. We're doing it to keep the show going, to keep interest in the cars. And a lot of the regulars recognize that and appreciate it. So got good support going into it kind of thing, which is great. We're no. not starting from ground zero, right? No, that's awesome, man. That's I mean, that's a that's a pretty big a pretty big endeavor to take on and uh it's 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 good, mm-hmm. man. It's going to do something to, to bolster the scene and it's it's interesting that, you know, you know, you hope you get more more people that join in and help out and, and anytime you're put on an event, you can always use some additional volunteers that are involved yeah. that want to see the success of the cause. And so 
it's it's right. always good to have that. So I'm, I'm hoping next year, man, you guys can have this event. I'm hoping to be able to get out there for the event because I'd love to come out there and you know and and see what the Canadian scene is like. You know because yeah. I think it's uh, especially well I call I refer to it as East Coast, but it's the GTA. <laughs> it's the Grand Theft Auto yeah. area or the Greater Toronto <laughs> area. But yeah. uh, I, I would definitely you know my my goal is to I, I've been to shows in Europe. Uh, you know, I've been to the EBI and I've been to Volksworld, um, but I'd really like to check out some of the shows north of the border. I'd like to go to, to Vancouver, BC yeah. for the- yeah, that one's a great show. I've never been out there because actually in Canada, it costs us more to fly within Canada than it does to like to California. Right. That's ridiculous. So I, I've, I've, ne- I've never gone out there to check it out, but I've got friends out there. Um, I've seen the pictures and the coverage and stuff like that, and I think they, they really do it up well. So at some point, I hope to make it out to check out that show as well. And yeah, I'd say between ours in Ontario and that one out there, those are going to be two of the biggest kind of air-cooled, focused Volkswagen shows in Canada for the year. Now, do you get do you, when you know when, when that June jitterbug normally would go on? Would you guys get a lot of people from from uh, the states come up to check yeah, it out? Yeah. So we've uh, there's a there's a club out of Ohio that would always bring up quite a few members. Um, New York State is right, right next door, so you get a lot of people out of New York. Like I said, Ohio, some Pennsylvania people. I had reached out to to Bob Cook to come up to this year's show, sort of thing, out of Maryland. Um, and they were thinking about it, but again, this happened, so I didn't need to push that any further. Um, yeah, definitely. And this year it would have really hurt if we had it, even if we had have been able to do the show, the fact that the borders are still closed and we wouldn't have got the U S participation sort of thing that, that would have hurt the numbers as well. Right. But it's, it's a great show to come to because I love that it's, it is in Niagara Falls. So you can see Niagara Falls and the Canadian side of Niagara Falls is a lot more built up with tourism than the U.S. side. Oh, really? So we've got two casinos over here. We've got a huge Ferris wheel. We've got wax museums. We've got a, a tourist area called Clifton Hill. Uh, we actually drove down that on our cruise on Sunday. And uh, a lot of the attractions are closed, but the souvenir shops and stuff like that are open. And uh, we have, uh, they just built a, a go-kart track up here that's modeled after like Mario Kart. So it actually has like a corkscrew in it. Oh, nice. So you go up and you come down it sort of thing and so forth. So yeah, so there's, there's, you can bring the family, you can spend days up here and have stuff to do kind of thing. Right. So I try to say, I talked to Pat down sort of thing. I was trying to get him and the family to come up to that. And I'm like, there's, if you haven't been to the falls, come up in June check it out, come to the show kind of thing. Right? Yeah, I tell you, it, it definitely, uh, you know, a, a lot of the things that I've gathered over doing the podcast over the past few years, um, especially talking to some of the people, and most importantly with R.K. Smith when I talked to him about some mm-hmm. of the best events, and it's come up once or twice, is that is that big, great VW crews were like a bunch of VWs crews together, and I think it would be so yeah. cool to do, you know, uh, a long a long haul trip in some Volkswagens and run, you know, state to state to city to city, and then <laughs> and then that final destination be at some some event. You know, I th- yeah. I think that would be uh, pretty cool to go to. So ho- hopefully, you know, next year I'm in a position where we can take a little road trip and go up there, and I can stop and visit some places and people and VW shops. Right. You know, between here and yep. you know here and there, because uh, you know the the scene is the scene is the same glue no matter where you go. You know, mm-hmm. and it's the it's the enthusiasts that make the scene what it's all about. So, uh, I'd love yep. to come up there and visit you guys up there in Toronto and see see what you guys are doing there and be able to just kind of appreciate what you guys are doing. Well, we'd love to have you. Yeah, well, hopefully, <laughs> ne- hopefully next year, man, we'll make it happen because uh, 
you know, the window of opportunity snaps close for you guys around when? Around September? Is it all? Is it game over around September or when? It's most of our our cars go away by the end of October. Sometimes on Halloween we'll have snow. I live a little bit north of Toronto. Yeah. Um. So we'll normally have snow around Halloween. But yeah, it's uh, it's basically the May long weekends to uh, yeah, it's the end of October kind of thing. But the show is kind of end in in September. Yeah. Starts well, getting cool from that. Well, good deal. Well, um, any anybody you wanted to to give any shout outs to while we're on the podcast about people that have been out there helping you kind of put this together yeah. or trying to get this done. So, so back in the day sort of thing, when I was just starting off, um, like I said, so John from John's bug shop, I would, I was 15, 16 years old and I would go down to him. And after a few visits, I'd walk through the door and he'd be like, Greg, where's your list? Cause I'd always have a list. I didn't want to forget the parts that I needed at John's bug shop. So John helped me out. He got me started on that 68 that was in the magazine sort of thing. He helped me uh, build some, some parts of that, that I didn't know what I was doing. So John Spirinella from John's Bug Shop, he actually came to our cruise on Sunday. He had his wife bring him over. Like I said, he's in a wheelchair right now. Um, sat up near the end. People came and said hi to him. It was good to see him out because we didn't see him at the show last year. He was he was too ill. Uh, so John Spirinella, thank you very much. In town, there's a guy by the name of Doug Dalgleish. Um, he had a black beetle that uh, I worked at shoppers. I, I worked at a drugstore in town. Mm-hmm. And he saw my blue car. That, it was my driver sort of thing. He saw it at Chopper's Drug Mart, found out who I was and talked to me sort of thing. And he had a shop and he taught me how to lower the back end of the bug. It wasn't lowered before sort of thing. So he taught me that. So Doug Douglas, without John and without Doug, I wouldn't be where I am right now. And uh, and these days, it was in that magazine article for the 56. Yeah. Uh, Pat, Pat Dormati from Toonwright in Oakville. He's still at the shop. Unfortunately, they've sold it now. They're, they're closing their doors at the end of this month. But if I still have a car with dual carbs and I can't figure out, it's just not running quite right. And I've done all that I could do, throw it on a trailer, bring it down to him. Uh, he got his start years ago working out of Volkswagen uh, a shop, basically in the 70s. Knows everything there is to know about Volkswagens kind of thing. And without him these days kind of thing, I wouldn't have the Volkswagens running as well as they run. And uh, he's a great guy at showing me kind of what to do and not doing it for me, nice. right? Yeah. Do this, do this. Here's what I'm doing. Next time you can do it. You don't have to come down here kind of thing. So nice. so those uh, those are the three main guys sort of thing that have really helped me out and helped me learn and get me to, to where I'm at and working on these things. Well, that's awesome. And then anybody wants to reach out to you, how, how can they get a hold of you? So um, Give me your Instagram and your Facebook and all that good stuff. So, uh, Facebook, if they do a search on tune perfection, what's, did I have it written down here somewhere? So I can't keep track of all this stuff. Yeah. Tune perfection BW is what's on Facebook. Instagram is, uh, again, tune perfection BW. And, uh, if they want to email me, uh, best way to get a hold of me, I guess would be, uh, Greg at tunedperfection.com. Now you're also doing something with weddings. Yeah. What what is so, what is that? Talk to me about that. It's funny when that how that happens kind of thing. So, you know, we all like wrenching on on Volkswagens and stuff like that, but I tell you, this wedding's thing. So, I've got a 21 window bus right now. It's sitting in the driveway 6 years ago. Neighbor pulls up in front of the house and she goes, "Do you do weddings?" And I'm like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Yeah. And uh she goes, you do weddings? I go, I, I, "What are you talking about?" She's like, "Well, my hairdresser's getting married and she wants a bus at her wedding." And I go, what's involved? And she's like, 
I don't know, you pick some people up, take them to the church or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I do that. So I do one wedding that year. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. The the bride's dad asked me to stay for a drink afterwards. They have an ice cream truck there. They're giving me an ice cream cones and stuff like that. Nice. It's awesome. And I'm making decent money for doing this. So the next year I do maybe two or three weddings. Well, last year I did like 29 weddings. I got two buses now kind of thing to do the weddings with. I've got drivers for me. And basically what we do is we'll go and pick up the bride, bridal party, groom, groomsmen from wherever they're getting ready, take them to the church, take them to the winery, wherever they're getting married, do pictures with them with the bus, take them to wherever the reception is, three hours, five hours, whatever it is, and that's your day. And, and you know, I've got a full-time job. I've got the part-time job wrenching on cars, and now I've brought <laughs> weddings into things, right? Right. So, so I said to my wife, I'm like, I'm not too sure what I should do. And she goes, well, I'll tell you what. Every time you go to the garage to work on a customer's car, you're normally in a bad mood. When you come back in from the garage, you're still in a bad mood. But when you're doing the weddings, you leave here in a good mood and you come home in a good mood. So I think that tells you right. you should keep on doing the weddings kind of thing. So so I'm trying to do both. And this year is, is a great year for that, really, because the weddings has slowed down, right? Because people can't get married. You can't have the big receptions and stuff now. Right. So So I'm working on cars a little bit more through the summer trying to get caught up. And then in the fall sort of thing, we get back into the weddings. But the, the weddings are just so much fun. Everyone's in a good mood. Everybody wants to spend money. Um, they love seeing the buses. And the best things are getting, you know, thank you cards from them. And it's got my bus with them standing by the bus or a, a drawing of the bus and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that's rad. That's yeah, rad. it's good fun. Really good fun. So, yeah. So if anybody wants to get, uh, if anybody's getting up there, getting married up there in uh, Toronto area, uh, or in Ontario, I should say. Yes. <laughs> Vin- uh, yeah, in the GTA. Yeah, in the GTA. The yeah. the Vintage VW Weddings. Is that Vintage VW Weddings Canada? Is that what the... Yeah, because there's a Vintage VW Weddings. It's a big thing in the UK, and there's a lot of, of companies over there that do that idea. Um, so I think the Vintage VW Weddings was probably taken, so I did Vintage VW Weddings Canada. So I believe on Facebook and on Instagram... Yeah, VW Canada should come up. That's funny. Yeah. Cause I've had people reach out to me from, yeah. uh, people have reached out to me, you know, that, that have just come to town and they're like, Oh, would you be able to, you know, do this? And I'm like, what? And I, yeah. and some, some guy calls me like, we'll pay you for it. I'm like, yeah, you don't have to, you, right. don't, you don't have to pay me <laughs> for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I'll just, you're a VW person. And then anymore, I was yeah. like, yeah, it's maybe not a bad business idea, but you know, it's a, I, I don't know, man. It's, it, listen, I got enough to do already with the podcast yeah, and all my other stuff I got it. going on. So, yeah. uh, no, man, that's yeah, awesome. So sure. if anybody's looking for any of that stuff, man, for sure, go check out Vintage VW Weddings Canada. That's pretty yeah. cool, man. Well, yeah. so Greg, man, I've, I appreciate having you on here, and I'm looking forward to meeting you one day face-to-face and coming out there to your neck of the woods. Or if you're out here on the West Coast anytime soon, uh, for yeah. sure, let's let's link up and uh, and, and talk some VW you know what I mean? I was really hoping to come down to your show in October because it sounds great. And I and I, and my friends and I were planning on going to uh, the Hot BW's Drag Day back in March. Right. And we canceled that because this was just starting. And I said, we got to get our drag racing fix kind of thing. What are we going to do? Well, Vegas. We used to go down. I know uh, uh, Scott Favor or Farve or yeah, something Scott like that. Scott Favor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I used to talk to him through Califorum sort of thing. And I have been to the show in Vegas before years ago. And I'm like, we should go back down. The show is going to be awesome. Well, Vintage VW Weddings Canada, I've got, I think, a wedding Friday, one on Saturday and one on Sunday because everything from the summer has been pushed into the fall. Sure. 
and I'm like, there's no way that I can do this this year, but I'll be there in spirit, and I think some of my buddies will be down there. Well, that's it, man. Well, we're hoping to have a rager that weekend, so we're looking forward to it. Yeah. But. Yeah. No. Well, cool, yeah. man. I appreciate having you on the podcast, man. And, and, and hopefully next year you get another go at that, uh, at that show and we'll be able to be there and, and it'll be a, you know, it'll be a rager, man. I'm looking, I, <laughs> I'm looking forward to, it. I'm looking forward to coming out there and just checking out the VW scene. Cause like I said, one thing I love about the VW scene is just the people in the hobby, man. And just coming out to visit yeah. different people in different yeah. neck of the woods, man. Yeah, I think you come up here and you'll be a celebrity status kind of thing because we promote the the podcast (laughs) to as many people as we can. And I think a lot of people are familiar with your cars in the magazines and stuff like that. So, well, so get, get, have a, have a Sharpie marker with you, like the race (laughs) kind of thing. You're ready to sign some hats and shirts and stuff like that. Well, I was, I was looking to go hang out with some cool VW people, man. So I'm looking forward to it. Good. We'd love to have you. Well, cool, man. Well, well, good having you on, and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll have you on. Uh, we'll have you on next year to promote the show when it's getting ready to go. Sounds good. Cool. Thanks man. for having me on the show. It's been it's been great. Yeah. No. Awesome, man. Well, we'll we'll talk to you again. Okay. All right, man. If you like that podcast, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, share it with a friend. Until next week, guys. Later. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have. Thank you.